Welcome to the FDF podcast, Passionate About Food and Drink. I'm Nikki Hunt, Director of Sustainability at the Food and Drink Federation, and today I'm joined by Adam Ray Summerson from Clark Energy, who's the Project and Development Manager. Clark Energy are one of our affiliate members, and also now we're very, very pleased to announce they are also the sponsors of the FDF podcast channel as well. So welcome, Adam. Thanks, Nikki. We're very pleased to uh, to be sponsors for the podcast channel as well. We're looking forward to uh, to the next few months. Lovely. So today we're going to talk about some of the main energy issues that are impacting on the food and drink sector and also about how some of our member companies can make themselves uh, more efficient and also to prepare for the all important net zero, which everybody's uh, talking about and is a hot topic of discussion this week. So um, just to kick off, can you tell us a little bit about what Clark Energy do and also why you're very keen to align with the food and drink sector and, and FDF? Absolutely, yeah. So Clark Energy, as as an organisation, we were established in the late 80s as a service business operating back then primarily in the marine and offshore industry. So going around the world, fixing ship engines to all intents and purposes. And then in the early 90s, we were approached by a couple of landfill gas operators in the UK initially, uh, who were looking for a service partner to to, uh, maintain their landfill gas fleet. Uh, and that that introduction kind of sparked a relationship with Yenbacher GmbH as they were known back then. And here we are some 30 odd years later representing them in 28 countries worldwide with an installed base of some seven gigawatts of both natural and non-natural gas um, reciprocating applications. The interest really with the Food and Drink Federation is often uh, a lot of your membership have large facilities that have a high power demand and a high heating demand and the power solutions that we can provide are perfect for for those types of applications where we can displace imported electricity and as a byproduct of our on-site generation produce heat uh, to offset some of the work that, that, that existing heating infrastructure would do so there's a compelling argument for saving uh, primary energy savings driving primary energy savings rather and which, which in turn can save electricity and carbon okay so looking at where we are now and where we're heading to in the future really the conversion of energy sources from from gas um, is going to be pretty critical to achieving the net zero targets isn't it um so with the experience that Clark Energy's got in the food and drink sector, how are you seeing that journey to net zero at the moment? Um, I mean, is it more complex than just a, a target? Um, and what alternatives really our members should be looking at for their alternative power sources? It certainly is uh, more complex than having a, a destination zero. Um, and I think there's an important factor there that, that 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 should be stressed to membership that having interim targets, you know, and, and step reductions in carbon uh, is actually what's a driving factor. I mean, our current install base in the food and drink sector is around 385 megawatts globally, of which there's just under 100 megawatts in the UK. And they are currently predominantly fired by natural gas, although there are a few installations there that are operating on biogases um, derived from the anaerobic, anaerobic digestion of, of food wastes, for example. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the 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 drives to getting to net zero, I think one of the issues, certainly from a policy perspective, is that historically 
the focus has often been on electricity and decarbonisation of electricity. And mm -hmm. largely today, there is still a, a tremendous focus on decarbonisation of electricity. And we're starting to introduce the conversation about electrification of heat. Now, clearly, electric electrification of heat will work in certain applications and in certain industries. But there are facets of your membership that will struggle to electrify all of their heat. So clearly, decarbonisation of gas is equally as important um, you know that essentially the two sides of the same energy coin and we need to treat energy in the whole as opposed to two distinct um, elements yes yeah I mean all, all of this is going to be inc incredibly complex for for members to get their their head around um, you know sort of possibly that the larger companies are going to have energy managers who are very experienced on working on all this sort of thing for for the mid-side companies it's probably going to be a bit more of a challenge for them um, Obviously, over the last year, members have been impacted by things like COVID, uh, the EU transition, um, lots of things around plastics and packaging, the diet and health agenda. They've got an awful lot coming down the track at them. Um, and so th this is sort of another thing for them to, to take on board, really. And for them, probably sort of the, the steps that are involved in, in taking on some of these, these projects are going to be quite considerable. Um, how can you help them with that and sort of where, where are the challenges for them? It is absolutely challenging um, if you have a focus and ultimately you are driven by um, by revenues of, of product be it biscuits be it fizzy pop or, or whatever that that, that is that the, the particular site is is making or manufacturing or where they are in that whole process. Um, the I think the 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 important considerations that people should be making is that there are relatively easy um, carbon reduction measures that can be achieved low-hanging fruit essentially things as simple as as upgrading lighting things as simple as you know increasing the efficiency of, of, a, of a product line if you have a 1970s conveyor will will investment into a modern conveyor system actually drive energy efficiency savings around your plant the answer is probably yes and that's before you even get into the realms of of the self-generation side um and, and and the elements that we can really get involved with and help mm. i think where we can support membership is in undertaking energy audits trying to understand how and where individual customers utilize their utility and then coming up with a uh, with a solution that may be a carbon neutral or a carbon zero solution today but it may not be it may be that actually we propose a natural gas fired system alongside some renewable technology be it solar you know rooftop solar for example yeah and some energy storage and actually we work up the best financial return in terms of your energy infrastructure that then can help drive future investment into further renewables i.e take the take the savings made today ring fence those savings and utilize them for further investment and that also has the added added benefit that we're not then reliant on government incentivization for deployment of future renewables yes yeah i mean it is you know to a certain extent with with um, commercial companies it's it's all about the return on investment and the business case and that sort of thing and you, you mentioned the audit um is is that something that you can do for companies sort of fairly fairly quickly? Um, what what sort of steps do they need to take through that? Um, yes, yeah, certainly it, it it is a relatively quick process. If if a if a facility has 
access to half hourly electrical meter readings and um, some sensitivity to kind of gas usages, which is the predominant heat generator in, in a number of, of, of facilities. Then we can analyze their existing utility consumptions and put together a basic feasibility model. Following kind of that initial analysis, it's normally prudent in a, well, you know, obviously appreciating COVID rules around workplaces and, and site visitations. But normally what we would do after that initial desktop study is actually come to site and look at the infrastructure that is existing and, and then come up with a, a conceptual design, you know, that might include a CHP, maybe replace a, uh, a couple of um, existing boilers, maybe replace some chiller equipment um, and, and, and also integrate some, some renewables technology or, or facilitate future connections of, of renewables technology or alternative fuels. Yeah. So, I mean, this does sound like a bit of a sort of multi-pronged approach where there, there's sort of some things where you can uh, work on what they've got existingly to make it more efficient, um, introduce some new technologies, that sort of thing. So it needn't be a sort of a great big, you know, big bang overhaul, you know, chucking out what you've got and replacing, which I think Absolutely. is sometimes what some of our member companies um, tend to fear is what's going to happen, particularly with sort of automation projects. Uh, absolutely. And particularly in consideration of the fact that that a lot of your membership don't want their factories switched off um, to, to, to undertake uh, infrastructure upgrades. So, so understanding kind of the phasing of certain projects and, and the ability to, to maintain utility supply during project execution is critical and something that we're, we're very well versed and, and, and practiced in. Um, a good example of a, which isn't in, in the food and drink in, industry, um, but rather uh, for a hospital in the southeast with the the estates manager was very very determined that any uh, connections that we were making into their hot water system had to happen on a given weekend in the middle of summer because oh. of the fact that that's when their heat demand was at its lowest so we had our teams on site working through the night we did a partial drain down of the existing hot water system so that we could make those um, mechanical tie-ins through the course of a night have the system charged back up so that so that by seven o'clock in the morning when the the heating was expected to come on again you know they were they were able to deliver utility to the hospital yes yeah i think that's what tends to concern um you know with the, sort of the operational side of things that you know with the sort of need to to get product onto shelf um they, they can't afford the the operational downtime and um you know they are pretty much 24 7 um in a lot of cases and uh, and the thought of sort of any disruption to to operations is is quite a scary prospect for them really but uh, absolutely and and it's beyond disruption to operations it's also disruption to kind of transportation logistics if you have truck movements coming in and out on a daily basis then clearly we need to ensure that that the that any road closures are minimized that our any installation cranes or offloading equipment are, are out of the way so that we're not disrupting um a client's ongoing ops Yes, yeah, there's an awful lot to think about when they uh, embark on projects of this nature, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, just sort of looking a, a bit to the head of future, and obviously um, future energy poly policy is going to be quite key. Um, everyone's eyes are on COP26 later this year, which we are assured will be happening. Let's hope that, uh, that COVID permits that. Where do you see the, the future? Um, and you know we sort of touched on it a little bit but is is electrification of heat the the only answer i know you've sort of touched on that but sort of what is there any more that you can tell us on that yeah I, I, 
everything we do in this industry is driven by by policy um and yeah we we eagerly await um the outcomes or of, of cop 26 and what's going to happen in terms of the energy policy taking the prime minister's green plan forward mm. um the, the the reality is that for a a future system that enables true carbon neutrality we need a flexible approach and flexibility and operation at both the grid side and at the site side are two things that need to be interlinked but also need to communicate with one another we can't be entirely reliant on the grid being powered by solar and wind because mm. you know we live on an island in the middle of the north atlantic and the wind does not blow all the time and the sun does not shine all the time as we all know <laughs> very rarely yeah um so so there are instances where through the combination of energy storage and high efficiency combined heat and power decentralized and, and at site can actually offer that level of flexibility that we understand at certain times of day we might not be operating as green as possible mm. but we are maximizing the utilization of renewables technology when it is available yes. um, and then beyond that obviously if we can if we can nail decarbonization of gas then and, and and ensure that we have truly renewable gas system be it through the supply of biomethane or indeed through hydrogen um then then the assets there the existing assets which are currently natural gas fired can operate on these renewable gases moving forward and that is another prong to to supporting you know all of our industries moving forward towards our net zero goals yes yeah and on the topic of goals sort of put you on the spot how do how realistic do you think the uh, the current ones are um they're realistic they're just very challenging and i think part of the challenge is actually the societal um impact and and, and our individual behaviors and how we are contributing to to that overall the the overall endeavors of of our of our workplaces of our employers um uh, it, it it's tricky in so much as if, if a workforce doesn't feel empowered in what they're doing, then you're not going to get the behavioural and the attitude changes that support that which we're doing. So mm. things like turning off lights, turning off computers, not running your laptop off mains power all the time. It has a battery there for a reason. Mm. Um, and, and, and these are small gains. But if everybody participates in that small gain, and is empowered to do so by realizing that that the impact that they make is contributing to this wider reduction target then then we should achieve our our goals um it, it is going to be a challenge i think there are going to be fundamental changes to the way that our economy works to support that challenge um but you know we're all in this together and if we want to ensure the longevity of the planet then then we we, we need to we need to achieve them we've all got to step up haven't we and uh, like, like you say sort of a, a lot of those um you know if you like smaller more basic um steps can actually be taken by companies of any size can't they so a absolutely yeah just um just sort of, again sort of putting you slightly on the spot but and you, you don't have to name names but have you got any sort of good examples of projects that you've done in the food and drink sector um with some of our members that have led to a real step change for them Yes, um, and and uh, the, 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 they are 
numerous. As I said, we, we've uh, circa 100 megawatts of, of food and drink customers in, in the UK um, alone, and they are operating in, in kind of all areas of food production, raw materials, you know, the on the, at the agricultural side, um, through to, excuse me, packaging, distribution, uh, and, and moving products. So if we think about our household names in this country with respect to dairy products, if we think about our household names in this country with respect to um, cereals, um, you know, breakfast cereals and uh, drink, food, um, carbonated drinks, whiskies, um, rums and beers, you know, that there, there are, we have customers in, in each one of those those industries so we really do encompass the the entirety of your of your membership in that respect um and in terms of kind of the 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 offerings that that um that, that our installations make and one example is for a cheese manufacturer in scotland um we installed through a, a, a funding partner a two megawatt um chp solution combined heat and power solution generating electricity hot water and steam and that facility is reducing emissions on the site by 2000 tons per year um which as well as improving efficiency of operation and then that's obviously driving substantial financial savings for the organization now clearly as the carbon intensity of grid supplied electricity continues to drop we're seeing a reduction in that true carbon benefit of of chp and that's something that, that is being challenged considerably within our industry at the moment but as i said earlier when you consider the wider scope of supply and consider co-locating renewables technologies um, alongside a chp system then it can still contribute to to CO2 reduction and certainly will for the rest of this decade. Um, and then following the turn of this decade, hopefully we will have a, a wider supply of decarbonized gas, which mm. then you know continues the longevity of, of these facilities on site, which yes, I've spoken a lot about the, the carbon saving and the financial saving, but the kind of the third point on this energy triangle is resiliency. And it's an it's, important factor that is becoming increasingly important to you know our customers in so much as as grid supplied electricity becomes more reliant on intermittent technologies we start to see um, increased fluctuations in frequency increased fluctuations in voltage through that grid supplied electricity so there's a, a question mark around stability of of the network so having the ability to offset some or in some cases all of your your um, electricity demands mm. whilst providing your thermal demands using our byproducts is is clearly a, a strong play so we're seeing a lot more yeah. customers these days um, investing in in what we would call an island mode solution so the, the the asset the energy asset has the ability to run in isolation from the grid should the grid fall over for whatever oh. reason okay. yeah albeit very rare in this country but yeah. if if the grid falls over the 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 energy system has the ability to kind of support site 
Mm, yes, yeah. I think if the last year has uh, taught us anything, I think it's all about contingency planning as well, isn't it, at the moment? So uh, Absolutely. That's, uh, that's useful to know. Okay, thank you very much, Adam. That's been a really useful, um, very quick canter through some of the, the issues that you're facing at the moment. And we're really looking forward to working with Clark Energy on the podcast series as the, the channel develops. And uh, hopefully we can catch up with you in maybe a couple of months time and, and you can update us how things are going. Yeah, we're certainly looking forward to it, in particular around COP26. It'd be interesting to to have a almost a preview and then a review once once we get through it. Absolutely, I'm sure we're going to be doing a lot of activity around then, so we'll uh, we'll definitely be catching up with you then. But uh, thank you very much for that, and thank you for listening to the FDF podcast. Passionate about food and drink, and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.